uh, we hope that you're, that you're ready for God to do something, to speak into your life today. God has really laid some things on my heart as we have gone through this COVID season, uh, God has really impressed upon me the importance of family. Uh, I, I truly believe this uh, to be true. I, I truly believe that every person, every man and woman in this room that has children, that, that is uh, a couple, I truly believe uh, that the vast majority of church-going folks desire to honor God with their life. They desire to honor God and bring God glory in their family. They, they desire to pass that along to their children. But over and over through this, in conversations that I've been having with families, uh, it's become increasingly apparent to me that even though we possess the purest of motives, a lot of us just don't know how to lead our families in a way that would bring honor and glory to God. Uh, we talk about, and I mentioned this in our drive through service, our last drive through service, but we talk about how much... COVID robbed us of time spent with fellow believers. And it did. It kept us from being, from meeting as a church. I, I talked to people and said, if we'd have just known that one Sunday that we would never, we wouldn't be back for three months. If we had just known that, we could have cherished it a little more. Uh, and, and so, and there, yeah, there's, a, there's absolutely a sense in that, right? That we all are zoomed out. Anybody that's done Zoom small groups, you are ready to meet in person. Uh, and so, and so Zoom has been was great for a time, but, but we're ready to get back. But here's something that I, I, the Lord gave me in that, and, and I want to share it with you. If you weren't there, we emphasize the fellowship that God robbed us of, or that, that the COVID robbed us of, but we don't understand the fellowship that God gave us through this season that we got an opportunity to connect more than maybe we ever have before with the fellow believers that are absolutely the closest to us. The believers in our life that should matter more to us than anyone else in the world. God gave us unprecedented time with our family. And so as we go through that, and so today, uh, as we begin this series in Family Matters, for the next four weeks, we're going we're gonna to talk through this idea of family matters. And we're going to look at it from a variety of different areas. Next week, obviously, we'll be talking about our fathers, right? The fa we'll be talking about fathers and fa for Father's Day. Uh, but we're going to look at different things as it relates to the family because I'm convinced of this. I wish I would have done more to invest spiritually in my children in the time that we had. But what it showed me is that it's not that I lack the time, it's that I lack truly the will to invest that time. Um, I had the time, but I'd st I still didn't do it. And so what grounds did you make up as a family spiritually through this COVID season? Uh, because we're going to talk about that and how we can start today right, being intentional about sowing into our families. And so today we're going to look at the foundation. We're going to look at the foundation, foundational truths from the Old Testament about family. Foundational truths that we can take, that we can apply to our lives today, and that God can use mightily for his glory. 
When I, and so if you got your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 2. It does not take long for God to hit on the subject of family. Genesis chapter 2, we see a picture of family. When I was a kid, I was enthralled by, I was, I was fascinated by the leaning tower of Pisa. Uh, it was, it, it, it just is fascinating to me that number one, that people would be negligent enough to build a building in a place that wouldn't support the weight of that building. It's amazing to me that the building slowly over time just continued to tilt, right? And I think they said something like in two, they, they had predicted by 2007 that the building would have completely collapsed. Right? Uh, so they immediately got to work, right? In like 1990, they got to work on trying to correct the, the, the sway of that building. And so they, they dug out this side and they added more weight on this side so that it would begin to correct itself. And so now we have the Leaning Tower of Pisa that is gonna stand forever, maybe, right? And so, and so, but I was fascinated by it. Uh, the, the name Pisa literally means marshy ground in Greek. Uh, and so they built a, a gigantic structure, right? It's not huge, but it, they built a tower on a place that's named for marshy land. Um, on top of that, you know, usually if you build in a, a poor location, my house, where we are at now, uh, is uh, we, have, they, we live on a hill, Right, And I used to not understand what, what happened there, why that was. And the reason is because that lot was marshy. Right, So they brought in film material that piled it up, which, by the way, digging in film material is just impossible. Right, but I'm, I'm, So I'm on this mound that they brought in. Why? Because they understood that you can't build on a marsh. It's going to settle. Things are going to, there's going to be significant problems. The Leaning Tower piece, interesting enough, 10 feet is all they gave for the foundation of this tower. So not only was it built in a marsh that was unable to provide a, found, a, a true foundation, but they built it with ten, a 10-foot ten foundation that would never have supported the weight of that building. And so over time, the building just began to fall. Over a long period of time, it began to fall. It would fall less than a degree, a fraction of a degree every year. And so they finally said, we've got to fix this or it's going to go away. And so uh, I think about that. When I think about the foundation of our families, what type of foundation are you building on? What type of foundation do you have? We've got to start from the very beginning. If we're going to address this issue of family, we've got to start from the very beginning of where God begins the family. And we find that in Genesis chapter 2. The first thing we're going to look at, three things here. The first thing we're going to look at is, is purposes, the foundational purposes and reasons and purposes behind a marriage or behind a family. Uh, and we're going to look at three of them. The first one we're going to look at is marriage. We're going to look at marriage. And this is what it says. Then the Lord said, this is Genesis chapter 2 verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. It's interesting to me that God made male and female of every animal. He created man, but he made male and female of every animal, right? And, but he, there was not a helper for him. 
Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock, to the birds of the heaven, and to the every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Listen to what it says in verse 23. Then the man said, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore... Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wives, and they shall become one flesh. This is the first mention of family. This is the first institution. This is the way it was. This is the creation account. Genesis 2, before the fall, this was the creation account. God made man. God tasked Man, But even while he was completing the task, God had a work for him. God saw that he needed a helper. He needed someone fit for him. And so God created woman out of man. When you read the, the, the Hebrew as this is written in, in the original language, the word translated Adam for us, or in some of your translations may read the man, is the word Adam. And what's neat about the word Adam is it comes from the word, um, it comes from the word Adama, which means earth or ground. So God created Adam out of the Adama, which is the earth, which is the dirt, which is, which is ground. How did God create him? Genesis 2, 7 tells us, right? God took the dirt from the earth and he breathed into him. The, the breath of the living God breathed into this dirt and he created man. In this, in this instance, it's, it's, it's interesting to see that we see first the perishable side of man, right? We see God taking what? Dirt. Taking the universe, right? Taking, taking, uh, taking part of the land that is corruptible, that is, that is finite, that is temporary, it's material, right? That's not eternal, He took the dirt and he breathed his eternal breath in us. Right there, we see the the, the very human, very physical, very finite part of man, our flesh and bones, what is physical within us. But we also see what is eternal in us, that we are not... We are separate from every other creature in that God breathed his life into us. So we are both temporary, we are both finite, and we are eternal. God created Adam out of the Adamah, out of the earth, out of the ground, and he breathed his eternal breath into him. This is the Spirit of God that he breathed into him. But through, after that creation... He created woman. Now he created woman differently. He took the rib out of man. He took the rib out of man, and with that, he created the woman. Again, 
temporary, the flesh of man, the, the finiteness of man, he took that and he made woman with it. And so that's what Adam called it. Called her. You will be called woman because you were taken out of man. In the, in the Hebrew, it literally means out of man. Right? And so the woman was taken out of man. And in that, Genesis 2.24, we see marriage as the first institution that God ever made for man. This is the first institution that God created for man. He gave man a task, and then he created within that task a framework uh, and, and, and an enabling, a helper to do the task that was set before him. Marriage was the first institution created by God for man. It predates the church, right? The church doesn't come about. Until the New Testament, right? After the time of Jesus, it predates the church. It predates the law. The law of God in Exodus chapter 20, we'll read in a moment, it predates even the law. But it even predates God's covenant with Israel. It even predates God choosing of Israel, which doesn't happen until Abraham later. The first Man that God created, God created the institution of marriage for him. And this is how he sums it all up. A man shall leave his father and mother. Adam didn't have a dad, right? Adam didn't have a father. Eve didn't have a father or a mother. But in that, he says, he creates a precedent and says, for this reason, the man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So, from one, God creates Adam out of the dirt. He creates one, and he gives him a task. But out of one, God made two. Out of one, out of one man, God made two. God made his helper out of Adam to be the perfect complement of Adam and to Adam. And from the two, we see here in this text, he made them one again. God took one, made two. And then he took the two and he brought them together as one. As you begin reading and studying God's Word and what it, what it speaks about in marriage, you see not two individuals. More often than not, we, we recognize that there's two different, two different people in a marriage, but when God looks at them, they, they, He doesn't see one and then the other. He sees a unit. He sees an inseparable whole that cannot be separated. And so He brought from he made one from one he made two and from two he brought them to being one again and so here's my question my question is that that raises is why if god's plan from the beginning was to bring the two to be one why didn't he just stay with adam and i believe it speaks to the purpose behind what marriage is designed to be. Church, you need to understand, whether you are married, whether you are a child, uh, whether you are looking for marriage, or whether marriage is the last thing on your mind, I want you to understand that 
there is a purpose, a divine purpose for marriage. Marriage is not for everyone. Paul talks about that. Paul talks about the gift of singleness. And so maybe God's called you to the gift of singleness. Uh, listen, that, that's, that's fine and that's great, but marriage is a good thing. I love what the scripture tells us. It says that if when, if for a man to find a wife, he has found a good thing. Becca is a good thing for Alan Ostrisky. Obviously, God saw in Adam a need for an Eve. And so he created Eve from that. And so the reason of why God started with one and ended with one, what's up with the two in between, speaks to the purpose of God. You need to know that marriage is ultimately not about you. It doesn't matter how long you've been married. It doesn't matter how well you know the person. You're like, I love the fact that, like, I don't know, like, the older people get, the more they start, like, looking like each other. Y'all ever notice that? Like, it's crazy, right? It, but the marriage isn't about us, ultimately, from the very beginning. Genesis 2, because God took one, made two, and then brought them back together again, it is to point to the goodness and the glory of God. It speaks to the purpose of of God. And so what does he say? He says the man will leave his father and mother. He'll leave. He will cleave to his wife. That's the King James. And then he will spend his life weaving their lives together. The word that we, that we have there is, is, is like a, it, it's uh, someone that would embroider or be a seamstress that the, the weaving of, of cloth together to completely change the purpose for the cloth. Over my time as being youth pastor at the main campus, I've accumulated a lot of t-shirts. Katie would say that I accumulated a lot of gray t-shirts. Uh, to which I'd say gray, slimming, and it's nice, and it's neutral, and everybody likes it. It doesn't look girly or masculine. It can be whatever. Um, and Katie told me that she would create for me one day a quilt out of all of the shirts that we had accumulated over the years of student ministry. I've yet to see that shirt. But it, may, but it makes a very interesting picture. You think about the purpose of a T-shirt. Right? To be worn as a top, right? To, to wear it as a shirt. The t-shirt has a purpose to cover your upper body. But all of a sudden, when you take a shirt, take the material of a shirt, you cut out the design, and you weave it into a quilt, all of a sudden, the purpose has completely changed. This is the, the idea of marriage. A, a man and a woman in their original family units, they have a purpose as a child. They have a purpose to honor. They have a purpose to do all of these things, to bring God glory in this area. But when they marry, they leave that fabric and they weave themselves together and now it is a brand new unit designed for the glory of God. The purpose completely changes. Why does God start with one and end with one? Why does he have the two in between? The reason is because God deserves the glory in each of those circumstances. He deserves the glory of a child and he deserves the glory of a marriage that ultimately points to him, points to his relationship and his covenant that he's made with us. We see marriage in Genesis chapter 2. But if we flip over a couple pages, we see multiplication. How much time? (laughs) 
My, my wife has made the joke that she's, she's fed up with, you know, was fed up with me being at the house. Like, she was ready for me to do something else, you know. And, 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 and I get it, she's joking and, and, and making light of it and all that good stuff. But how much of that is, is reality for us? How much time did you really invest in your spouse in the time that you spent at home? In the time that you were working from home, how much time did you truly invest in your closest neighbor. Man, God has called us to do that. The second people that he's called us to invest in is our children. Multiplication. Number two is multiplication. Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8, beginning in verse 20. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and he took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. This is right as they're getting off the boat, right? Noah and and, and the worldwide flood. Verse 22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The second thing that we understand, if we look at the foundation of marriage, is one, it's, it, it involves a marriage, a family, it involves a marriage. The second thing is it involves typically multiplication. It involves growing that family, seeding into others the, the life of new life, right? And providing for new life through children or other means, right? This is why we understand that homosexual, homosexuality is not of God. It is one of many sins, right? It's one that we typically harp on, Right, because we don't identify with it as much, but you know, we, we stay away from gluttony. Exhibit A, right? We stay away from uh, anger and we stay away from these, these other things. But homosexuality, why is it not in God's plan? Because you, there is no way to reproduce as a family, right, in the context of marriage through homosexuality, right? But he says, be fruitful and to multiply. And feel the earth. And so we understand the need, right, of families to reproduce, right? We are, are the, the human race is one generation away from extinction, right? If we, if we quit having babies, the world depletes quickly, right? And so, and so we understand the need physically, but ultimately the purpose for a family in your notes to reproduce is ultimately spiritual, God had wiped out all of the wickedness in Noah's day. And he started over with Noah, who was righteous. And he said, Noah, you take what you're doing, you be fruitful, and you multiply, and you fill the earth. If we have only a physical understanding of of multiplication, we miss what God is trying to do. All of us see the need, see the physical um, 
ramifications of multiplication. But what about the spiritual? Listen, I know that there's people, there, some of my dear friends have struggled mightily to have children. Listen, and, and, and so to hear that, to hear that God's plan for my marriage is not just to have kids, but it's to reproduce. What are, they, what are you doing then to sow into others? What are you doing to disciple others, to, to put the same spiritual DNA from you into the lives of others? All that's being said here is that the most effective way to do that is in the confines of a family. The the most easy and effective way to multiply believers is in a family. It makes sense. You're invested in each other's life and you can grow and you can sow in to one another. But ultimately, it's spiritual. Why is this important? And again, just as God is worthy of the glory of a marriage and He's worthy of the glory of of a child, God is worthy of the glory of the next generation. God is worthy of the glory. And how is that generation, the church, is also one generation away from extinction? If we don't mention Jesus ever again, the generation that before us will be completely godless, right? And so we are one generation away from the church being extinct. But God is worthy of the worship of Cooper's generation. God's worthy of the worship of Hudson's generation. God's worthy of the worship of Cooper's son or his daughter's generation. God is worthy of the worship of not just every tribe, tongue, and nation, but every tribe, tongue, and nation throughout the course of history. This is why multiplication is important. Because we are building the kingdom of God. We are establishing, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we sow into the lives of others so that we can believe. And, and you may think, man, that's, that's unrealistic, right? That, that, that's the only, that's the, the, the only reason. It's unrealistic to think that a generation could go completely without God. But it happened in Scripture. King Josiah, about 45 years after the death of Hezekiah, his great-great-grandfather, Josiah found a book that was given to him by a guy that was cleaning a temple. His dad and his grandfather had been completely against God. But Josiah followed in the ways of Hezekiah. And he found a book, and he didn't even know what it was. And as he began to read it, the Bible says that he tore his clothes. He tore his clothes because he realized how far he had departed. Why? Because we're just one generation away from ignorance of all things God. right? But but Josiah made the reforms. and, and It's just crazy to me to think that 45 years, in 45 years, there could be a generation that doesn't even know what the Bible is. If we aren't multiplying and sowing into the next generation and finding people that we can pour our lives into. Thirdly and finally, we see the mission. The mission of family laid out in Scripture. And so we see that. The, the, the first thing that we talked about was the, the Adamic covenant, the covenant between God and Adam. We look at now, we looked at the multiplication, the covenant between God and Noah. And what we find is in every major Old Testament covenant, we see the same idea of family. 
Listen to what it says when God made his covenant with Abraham. This is Genesis 26. You may not be able to turn there, but if you want to write them down, you can follow along on the screen. Genesis 26, verse 4. Listen to what God told to Abraham. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God's plan from the very beginning was to bless every tribe, tongue, and nation. This is why we know that. Through him and his seed will all the nations of the world be blessed. Who was of the seed of Abraham? Jesus, the Messiah who would bless all nations. But again, he's, he's talking about the, your offspring, your children, the people that will come, your families. As they continue down the generations, it's going to be passed down because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Because Abraham did this... I am blessing you and future generations as we lead to Jesus. Listen to what it says in the Mosaic Covenant. This is Exodus 20, right? As God is, as, as the uh, Ten Commandments are being read out and listed, they pause and it says this in verse 5. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. What's he saying? Your obedience to God has ramifications in the next generation. Right? If you are obedient to me, this is the Mosaic Covenant. Right? Understand we don't live under this covenant. Right? We're in the new covenant. But for the Old Testament, in order for the line to be preserved, there had to be obedience to God throughout. I will bless the generations that bless you, that bless me, and I will curse the generations that curse me. Listen to what he says to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, in the Davidic covenant. When your days are fulfilled, And you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He tells David, I'm not going to do it through you, but I will establish my love and my covenant with you to future generations. God's plan for the family is inextricably tied to God's word, right? The idea of family is tied to the promises of God that we see in Scripture. And this is why, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament family, this is in your notes, this is important, this is where we'll end today, the Old Testament family ensured the physical line to Jesus. That is what the Old Testament family ensured. Israel, my chosen people, you are ensuring the line to Jesus. Your obedience through your word, through my sovereignty is God, but through your obedience, you are preserving the line to Jesus, right? And so, I have in my hand, if y'all want to, if y'all can reach up and kill the lights real quick, I have, a, I have in my hands a flashlight, right? It's not super strong, even weaker than I thought, uh, apparently. Uh, I have a flashlight, right? And the idea of a flashlight is to point... Where you're headed, in a direction, right? And so the Old Testament family we see as a flashlight. It is pointing toward Jesus. Uh, My wife is leading a women's Bible study that's talking about how everything in the Old Testament points 
to the New Testament. It is, a, it, is, it is a point, it is a linear point. The family is used by God to point to Jesus. It's why we find so much imagery about the Messiah in Scripture. But the old, that's the Old Testament family. The New Testament family ensures the spiritual line from Jesus. The Old Testament, I'm testing my cameramen here, the Old Testament was aligned to Jesus. But what we see in the New Testament is what radiates in light of Jesus. This is the New Testament family. We don't await a coming Messiah. Our Messiah has come. And as a, re- as a result, we scatter His light to the uttermost parts of the world. It is not a line to Jesus. Our families are designed to be a line from Jesus, scattering His gospel like seed throughout a lost and dying world. Is is this what your family looks like? Is your family scattering seed of the gospel, shining the light of Jesus in dark places. We're not called to lead, to, to, to point toward Jesus. We are, we are taking Jesus and we are living our lives so that people will see him played out in our life. And so with every head bowed and eye closed, if we can bring the lights back up, what does your family look like? Have you spent that time with Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Listen, you can't reflect anything if the gospel hasn't shined brightly in your life. You can't reflect it. And so if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to respond to that message today. Maybe the greatest thing you could do for your family or your future family is to enter a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the first place you scatter light is to the people that are closest to you. And so if you're here in this place with every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you and you need a relationship with Jesus, we have counselors that would love to talk to you about that. Love to talk to you about how you can know that you have that relationship with Him. And so nobody's looking around, um, but in the quietness of this moment, if you would, if you would like to, uh, to make a decision for Christ, maybe that's salvation. Maybe you want to join Lindsay Lane uh, and, and join the North family as we pursue Christ, as we shine and scatter the light of Jesus all over the world. Whatever it is, whatever decision that you need to make, I pray that you would respond in this moment. Nobody's looking around. There's counselors that are in the back. I would love for you right now, if you want to need to make a decision for Christ, that you would stand to your feet and you'd make your way to the back. There's counselors who would love to talk to you from a six-foot distance. We would love to talk to you about how you can know that you have that relationship with Christ, how you can join arms with us as a church, how you can get your baptism in order, how you can rededicate your life. Whatever decision you need to make, I pray that you would respond in these moments. Is there anyone? Would you respond? No one looking around. This is a safe place. Would you respond? The second thing I'll tell you is you receive connect cards. 
31996 is the number that you can go. You can get on our online connect card and you can indicate, hey, I prayed to receive Christ today. Hey, I, I, I want to follow the Lord in baptism. Hey, I, I want to join the church. Let us know. The, the, the bottom line, we understand that things have changed a little bit. We can't receive people at the altar and, and, and those sorts of things because we're in close and, and all those things. But I, I just believe that God still moves. His Holy Spirit still moves and still convicts lives. But don't leave this place without doing business with Him. If you need to respond to the gospel of Christ, pray that you would do that today. Father God, we thank you for your message and we thank you for your word. God, I pray that we would be light. Light that we would use our families that you have entrusted to us, given to us as a steward of. God, that we would use them to bring you glory in every circumstance and situation in our life. Forgive us where we've fallen short of that. But God, I thank you for what our families are and what they mean to you and how they point others to you. Father, we love you and we praise you. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.